Kankakee Podcast is presented by Pewter Pros, Stitch Prints, and Digital World Design Family of Businesses, celebrating 25 years of small business ownership in Kankakee County. Learn more at mypewterpros.com, stitchprints.com, and digitalworlddesign.com. Thankful for the way these stories hold on To the lifetime we won't get back, I know These rivers carry Welcome to Kankakee Podcast, where we talk about the people and places of Kankakee County. I'm Jake Lamore, and today we are joined by someone in the film industry, to be more direct, a film critic here locally in Kankakee County, someone I've wanted to have on the podcast for a while. Welcome, Pamela Powell, to the podcast. You may know her from the Daily Journal. You may know her from WCIA. And then also the Real Talk with Chuck and Pam podcast as well. There's probably another one I'm forgetting in there, too. Yeah. I, uh, I the write, radio? Um, I write for a couple of different magazines okay. and uh, also some, some other like guest kinds of spots for writing. So, Do you write for Lifestyles at all, for the Daily Journal? Or do you just I do, do the, the column? No, the, I, I okay. also write for Lifestyles. Okay. Um, I don't do that on a consistent basis. Sure. Um, I took a break for the last couple of months because, oh my God, let me tell you, film stuff just blows up this time of year. And I'm lucky if I get sleep during this time of year. It's just absolutely crazy. So there's just a lot coming out? Or is it because of the award it season? Is. Yes, and that is exactly Exactly what it is, award season with air quotes around it. And everyone gears up. Everything has to be released before December 31st. It has to play in at least two theaters for one week anywhere in the country. It used to be New York and L.A. was what you had to do, but now it's anywhere in the country to be considered for Oscar. And let's face it, Oscar is the biggie. Yes. I am a part of the Chicago Film Critics Association. We already had our award ceremony. And then I'm also part of the Critics' Choice Association, which is kind of like gears up for the Oscar. So it's a, a bigger part of a predictor, if you will, as to who might win an Oscar. So everything has to be completed by December 31st. All of our organizations vote in the beginning beginning of December. So I've got, I have to have seen everything by December 9th. Now you're talking about voting for the Oscars or are you no. talking about voting just for the Critics' Choice Awards? For that, the Critics' Choice for Awards Chicago Critics and Choice for Awards. Chicago. Okay. So, so Critics' Choice Awards, that's a Hollywood thing and that's yes. from critics from all over the world. It used to be the Broadcast Film Critics Association and they changed it to the Critics' Choice Association. And so we have our awards ceremony, I think it's on January 15th of uh, the coming year in 2023. So two different organizations, one's local, one's national. And the national one, I assume it probably takes place in California. It does. (laughs) I get a little break from Chicago area weather. (laughs) It's a good thing. 
Let's start a, a little bit from the beginning. You're originally from New York. I am. And uh, how did you come to Illinois? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's actually like a full circle story, if you will. I and s- where in New York, <laughs> to be specific? Uh, not New York City, I imagine, no, somewhere no, uh, else um, in the state. Exactly. Um, I'm from this little town called Mayville. So if you remember the Andy Griffith show, and it was yeah. Mayberry, it's much like that. There was one stoplight in town. Everybody knew everyone. I think there were like, it was a population of about 1,500 people. My school, and I can't say my high school because it was my school, K through 12. I had a graduating class of, I think, 43 or 45 or something like that. So very, very small town. We didn't have a movie theater in town. We had to go to the neighboring town to Which get the... Which was probably like 30 miles away well, at least, it, or 60 miles. That wasn't maybe. too far away. Okay. But to get a first-run movie, and I didn't even know what that term meant back in the day, um, we had to go about a half an hour. And so. what is a first-run movie? Well, back, <laughs> back in my time, um, Star Wars, that was the first... First run movie I'd ever gone to is the original Star Wars. I think is what 1976, Okay. When you say first run, that means like a brand new movie right. being shown for the first time. Exactly. Not like a movie that's 20 years old and it's being put into the movie theater for a special reason or just because that's what the small town movie theater could afford is, <laughs> Bingo. A, 20, is Bingo. a 20 year old movie because obviously the newer the film. It's probably more expensive to, however, I don't know what the, how the exchange works nowadays, if right. it's renting or a ticket percentage. I back then. I think it's a little bit of both. It probably yeah. is. I And this day and age with things being so different with the last two years with yeah. COVID and all that stuff. And so how did you wind up here in Illinois then? And in conjunction, where Mayville was in what part of the state? Western New York State. So it's about an hour and a half south of Buffalo and not far from Erie, Pennsylvania. So it's kind of funny. You know, we're talking about this big winter storm coming because we're getting 12 to 18 inches. When I was growing up, we would get 36 inches overnight and it would be a typical day and school would not be canceled. I remember one day, the blizzard of 77, and that is the only time school was ever canceled. We had sidewalk snow plows. That was like, that was my childhood. And and I remember when my husband and I moved to Poughkeepsie, New York, we had a major snowstorm and I kept looking out the front window and my husband was like, what are you looking for? I said, when does the sidewalk snow plow come by? And he started laughing like, what are you talking about? So apparently not everybody has a sidewalk snowplow. I mean, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, they, they handled the snow wonderfully. So that's that's where I grew up. And actually, it's kind of funny. When I was, uh, I went to undergrad in Valparaiso University. And like Indiana. Uh, yes, okay. Indiana. And uh, I remember turning on the Weather Channel, and I saw my parents in the background of the Weather Channel <laughs> because they were stationed right out in front. Oh, no So I called way. my parents and at, from a payphone uh-huh. down the hall yeah. um, and said, hey, you're on TV. <laughs> Like, yeah, we see them. We're waving, you know. Yeah, wave to me right <laughs> that's now. That's right. I'm on. Yeah. Gosh, that's um, great. So, yeah, I started in Mayville, New York, and then always had a love of theater. That was always something I was involved with. And from elementary school, I would write my own silly plays. I'd look back at those, and they were ridiculous. But the teachers encouraged that creativity, which was wonderful. And then did that through junior high and high school. Remember, it's K through 12, so same school, yeah, same also- stage, same everything. Wow. They have all all grades in one building. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. Kind of crazy. And and it definitely was so many fun memories of growing up in a small town like that. We lived right outside the village limits. And so I would walk to school and I had a horse and I had a goat. 
and we had all sorts of things. I, I loved hiking, Did loved being outside. Did you ride your horse to, oh, have, to school? Uh, no, never oh, okay. rode, rode her to school, but <laughs> I remember, I think I was in fourth grade, and I hear my name over the intercom. Pam Cammer, please come to the office. Your horse and goat are here. <laughs> <laughs> so They I was just like, came to school. They knew where they you did, were. They <laughs> did. It was really kind of funny, so I was mortified. <laughs> and now you I look back. <laughs> you please control your animals. That's right. They started yeah. calling me Little Bo Peep, you know? <laughs> uh, that's cute, but also I'm sure it was uh, a little demeaning. A little bit, a little yeah. bit. So, yeah, I went to Valparaiso University for undergrad and then did a really cool program where I was able to do an internship in Chicago and learn all about Chicago. It was, it was really, it was a life-changing crossroads event for me to be able to, you know, this podunk little town that I'm from. And I, lo- I, I say that in the most affectionate way. Yes. And then going to this big city, you know, with filled with who knows what. They had a really cool program that was called Chicago Urban Studies. I don't know if they still have that or not, but it really was great. We lived in apartments all over the city. We learned Chicago's history. We had a job, per se, and we were also... We were tasked with going to these different events. Um, I went to Operation Push, the Rainbow Coalition, which I look back and think that was a really cool event. One of the Black Panthers was one of our instructors. I mean, I, I didn't appreciate it back then, unfortunately, you know, but looking back, I really, that You're was You're like, just, holy cow, that yeah. was a really big deal. Right, right, right. Lou Palmer smoking his cigars. I was just angry with him because he smoked his cigars in the house. It just drove me nuts. <laughs> you know, the things that you focus on when you're young, you know? Yes. So I ended up going to Northwestern for grad school, and I met my husband when I was doing another internship at Michael Reese Hospital on the south side of Chicago, and we ended up getting married, and we moved to Washington, D.C., then back to New York, and then back to here. And I thought I was moving back to Chicago when we came to Bourbon A. I was eight months pregnant, so I couldn't travel. So um, we ended up in Bourbon A. So that's my, my full circle kind of story of how I ended up here in Illinois. Is your husband originally from this area? No, he's from New York as well. We, oh, gosh. we grew up two hours away from each other. And you didn't find this out until later in no. life, of course, when right. you first met right. here in Illinois. Yep. Gosh, that's funny. Kind of crazy. Kind of <laughs> crazy. So when you were doing this other internship at Northwestern, you yeah. said, was that for something in the healthcare field? Yeah, actually, I got a master's degree in speech language pathology. And so I had different internships throughout the city in order to learn about being a speech path. And my daughter is actually becoming a speech path right now. She's no in grad way. school for that. So, yeah, it's kind of fun to, to see that. So I practiced for several years until I had kids and then uh, stayed at home with my kids. And then when does <laughs> being a film critic come into, I mean, I know you, kind of going back to what you were talking about earlier, you know, you wrote your own plays and right. things like that. Did you end up? doing any of that in, in college? You know, I mean, co- coincidentally, I ended up teaching at Columbia College while I was still in grad school and then a little bit after, and I taught a radio broadcasting techniques, speech techniques class. It's basically, you know, making sure that you don't say gonna and wanna so and you things were, that I still make mistakes with. Did you ever get any radio broadcasting under your belt then, or was it just from 
teaching speech to Well, I, I did. I taught that for probably about two or three years. And then, um, as I said before, I stayed at home with my kids and did all the mom stuff and the volunteer stuff and, and soccer mom. And uh, my son and I were going to be going to visit some colleges. He was a junior in high school. And I had posted on Facebook that I was going to go to the University of Illinois Springfield. And Jonathan, my son, and I were going to go see the social network. And I don't know if you know Carl Maronich. Yes, okay. I do know Carl. Good, good, great good. Guy. He yeah. is a great guy. He saw that on Facebook, and I, I think they had somebody who would come in and do film reviews for them, and they didn't have that person anymore, and he saw that post. And we were just acquaintances at the time. I didn't really know him. I think I'd seen him at the gym and knew him enough to say, hi, how are you? And this is when Carl had a show on the KAN, really big right? Show. The yeah. really big show, yeah. yeah. Great show. <laughs> it was so much fun. So he asked me if I would call in a review. And so I said, sure, no problem, because, you know, I taught the radio broadcasting class, so I should be able to do this. And uh, called in the show on that Saturday morning, and they seemed to like what I brought to the table. And then they encouraged me to come back. And before I knew it, I was on every Saturday morning with them. So much fun. <laughs> Just a goofy crew of people. And I had a blast and learned a lot about how to really look at a film. And I think after that point, um, I started writing for the Daily Journal and then um, started a blog called Real Honest Reviews that's still out there. I try and focus more on female filmmaking on that site. And then I thought, well, hey, might as well try and get to Sundance. Let's see if I can get credentials to go to Sundance. Why not? This is not a large town, and I am truly small potatoes. And just, you know, gave it a shot to see what would happen. And I never got any response back. And I called a friend of mine who lives out there, Jimmy, and said, yeah, I just guess I didn't get in. I, I didn't get a response or anything. And he goes, let me get back to you. And so he called Dana Williams, the mayor of the town of Park City, and Dana called the powers at B <laughs> in, at, at Sundance Film Festival, and all of a sudden I had credentials. Wow. Yeah, which was really nice. And after that, that just really, getting those credentials really opened up the door for me to be able to go to other festivals, Tribeca, Toronto, South by Southwest, other major festivals that, that are key players and finding those hidden gems for Oscars down the line, you know, the Whiplashes, the Damien Chazelles. So that really opened up a lot of great doors for me. And then I was um, able to become a member of the Chicago Film Critics Association and met some great people there. And that's where Chuck Kaplinsky, my film partner now, comes into play. We met at, we, we dis, well, we disagree on everything. But, you know, I... It's interesting when you have those partnerships, how those those two opposites end up being the ones that host shows together right. or work together in some fashion. Yeah, and we, we have a lot of fun. We are always respectful of one another, but even when we disagree, and we disagree about how we met, too, which is really kind of funny. I'm like, no, it was at, <laughs> of course the, you do. It was at the screening room on Lake Street. He goes, no, it wasn't. It was at Navy Pier at the IMAX. <laughs> I'm like, it was at that Jungle movie. He goes, no, it wasn't. It was at Superman. I don't know. It was like <laughs> Spider-Man. I, I really don't know which it is now, because <laughs> yeah. now they're all just morphing well, into uh, my memory. About when did you guys meet, then, you and Chuck? Gosh, I want to say it was probably five or six years ago now. Everything is pre-COVID or 
now. <laughs> I don't want to yes. say post-COVID because I don't think we're there yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, probably five or six years ago. And he had been looking for someone to partner with on his TV show down in Champaign at WCIA. He's got two shows down there. We have two shows now. One is on CI Living and the other one is on the morning show on Friday mornings. And he liked what I brought to the table, too. He liked my writing. He liked that I differed from him and I had a different voice. And there aren't many female film critics. I mean, it's this is a really tough business to be in. It's it's You can't make a living at it unless you're the Richard Ropers or the Michael Phillips, which are two great guys, really like both of them a lot. And they can make a living at this. Then there's the rest of us. And it's nearly impossible to to pay the bills on that. So having women in this industry, which actually, interestingly, this was a female-based industry when it first started in the 1920s, the teens and the 20s. And then it morphed into being helmed by mainly men. So now it's going back the other way, maybe a little bit. Um, nope. Uh, no. <laughs> well, I think, I think that. Females, voices, or anybody who is considered a minority, which is really kind of funny because women are 51% of the population, but we are a minority in this industry. Yeah. And I think we are getting a, a greater voice. And I think people are paying attention to, well, let's give her a try and see, you know, what she brings to the table. And it's nice to see other people having a chance and having a, a seat at the table at all. So, yeah, it is. It's improving, but... We're not back to the 1919s yet. <laughs> so going back to is it the social network is, oh, the, sorry, yeah. is the first movie that you and that was what, 2010 ish? Or am I is that? I think so. Ten, nine or ten, somewhere around yeah. in there. I'm bad with dates. So, I yeah, am, I've been doing I this for too. about 12, I mean, 13 years. So, well, I'm sure it's hard for you to pinpoint that just because I mean. How many films have you seen since then? Oh, I have no idea. I was listening to the latest episode of, you know, Real Talk with Uh Chuck and Pam, and you put out a number like both of you have seen 360 some films just this year alone. Right, right. So, or maybe that's like an average number for every year. So, I mean, if you've been doing this for 13 years at this point. Yeah, you do Times by. (laughs) I can't do it. That's wild. (laughs) It is. And you think about. On average, every movie is about two hours long. Yeah. And then you think about how many hours we have spent sitting on our butts in a dark theater watching movies. And Chuck always says, you know, we we waste our time so you don't have to. (laughs) Right. If you really want to follow, if you really trust a critic or if you find a critic that you think aligns with your movie beliefs, I guess is what you say. Sensibilities, yeah. Yeah, then you would trust that yeah. that film critic. I'm curious to know the science behind it and I'm sure it's diff- I'm sure it's different for everyone, but I'm sure compared to when you first did your critique on the social network compared to now, what is the difference what what were the things that you learned or the the aspects that you changed on what you thought was the way you should be a film critic versus now? I was lucky enough to meet and talk with Robert Redford and actually got to know his son, Jamie, before he passed away. And Robert Redford's words that he he said publicly as well, and he said in an interview with a, a group of us, you need to have a good story told well. If you don't have that, you don't have anything. Everything else is just icing on a cake. So I think I started with that, that basic foundation of tell me a story and tell it well. 
And then you start looking at, obviously, acting has to be there. Then you have to look at cinematography and then really learn about colors and angles. And And we're here in this podcasting room. And if I want a shot of you, but I want to include the fact that I'm here, I'm going to shoot over my shoulder and I'm going to make it really narrow because this is an intimate conversation about film. So I'm going to shoot into the, the microphone and then through to you. And I'm really going to make the viewer feel like they're a part of that conversation. They are there with you. So cinematography, and I've always loved photography. I used to have my mom's. I'm, I'm just going to go on like 50,000 tangents that, here. That's fine, please. <laughs> I love those. Those are my favorite. <laughs> I had my mom's brownie camera from the 1930s or 40s or whenever it was and developed my own film. So I've always loved photography. So a movie camera is just, I think, an extension of that because the Beginning movies are just like a lot of still shots all put together in how many seconds. So I really appreciate it. I think that was one of the first things that I really appreciated in a film after getting past the good story told well issue is the cinematography. And then, you know, lighting is obviously a key factor, especially when you look at horror films. And if you see a horror film shot in the day. Now, that's really cool. Like Midsummer, you know, that's all daytime. And that was a chilling movie. And then looking at editing. Oh, my God. Editing is so key. People need to learn how to edit their movies a little better because there's so much. There are so many movies this year that I would love to have just like chopped up because they just have too much. There's a term called you don't want to kill your darlings. And that is when you have when you're too close to your film and you're like, oh, I really liked that scene. But that scene does nothing to propel the, the story forward. Chop it. Get it out of there. Not necessary. And when these movies are running two and three hours, you're going to lose people's attention. People just don't have the attention span. Now, yes, we have the attention span to sit down and binge watch series. But I have a theory on that. I really feel like these series that we watch, and I'm watching a great one right now called Abbott Elementary, they have a narrative arc. They have a beginning, a middle, and an end within 20 and 30 minutes. When you're watching a two- and a three-hour movie, you don't get to that narrative arc until sometimes until like the hour-and-a-half mark, maybe two-hour mark. So I think that's where that attention and that, that, that way of capturing your attention falls in. So editing is, is just absolutely key with that. Those are the production design, costume design. Those are all, I don't want to say fluff, because you, you can really pull yourself into a period piece. And, you know, if you don't have those proper props, mm -hmm. then you're not going to feel you're, like you have been transported back in time. Not just having the props, but the props seem seeming like they're real. Yes. And it's not just, oh, that's made to look like it's from this period. Like, no, this really this is. is. Yeah, this yeah. is it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, so those, those are all key factors. And I think, you know, as I've grown in understanding, you know, what it means to be a critic and look at it as an art, as well as what moves you. You know, we're going through our top 10 list right now. We'll have our yes. podcast out. <laughs> uh, we did four podcasts, taped them yesterday, and then taped two shows for the for the station. So it was a it was a busy day yesterday. And just going through the top 10, you know, every year I change my criteria of how I'm looking at a film. And this year, and I see a common theme with my top 10, it's like, what moved me? I have a unique voice. I'm female. I'm old. <laughs> and You're not old. I am old, and that's okay. I have a I have a different voice than someone who's going to be 20 or 30, and I have different life experiences. And so I look—you can take a movie that you saw when you were—I don't know how old you are, but when you were 20, 
And now you're going to see it again through your however old you are, your eyes now, and you're going to see it in a different light. And you can critique it in two different papers and you're going to see your criticism is going to be totally different because the experiences in life that you have enable you to see this a little bit differently. So this year was a unique year in film, I think, just because we're still rebounding from people not being able to make movies the way that they wanted to and with the large sets. And, and, you know, we're just getting back to that because of COVID. This year has not been a, a year where you say, oh, that's a definite winner. You well, know? and it, it's really come down to more about series, it seems like. Series, 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 series. It's not so much about movies, it seems like, especially at least just from my eyes it seems like a lot of that has shifted to series a lot of major players yeah. are doing series you oh, don't you see them in the blockbuster movies they're they're doing something on apple plus or right. disney plus or whatever plus <laughs> plus goes into your plus, bank account yeah, yeah, plus, yeah. yeah. or goes out minus or go, yeah, ne- yeah negative uh, minus <laughs> yeah. yeah i'm sure you've seen that too there's a shift in oh, that oh absolutely yeah, yeah i'm i with our critics choice association we've got a film branch and a tv branch and then some of us do both And it's really exciting to see how the quality has been elevated over the past five years, 10 years. I think The Sopranos on HBO, it was HBO on Sopranos, right? Yeah. Um, I think they really kicked that off and saying TV can be as good, if not better than film. And I think that they have just totally increased the number of shows that are available that are truly worthy of watching. And I'm finding myself gravitating toward watching series as well as watching my 350 movies. (laughs) So it's a good thing I have a treadmill in front of my TV. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's very, very handy. But going back to you're saying it's an interesting year for film. What is exactly so interesting? I think that we don't have any clear winners like We don't know who's going to be the, I know for the Chicago Film Critics Association, the big winner was uh, actually two, the Banshees of Inner Sharon, which I thought was okay. What's that about? (laughs) (laughs) Um, It is about two men on an isolated island off the coast of Ireland who won, Brendan Gleeson plays uh, Calm, I think his name is, and Colin Farrell plays Padraig. And the two are best friends, have been for life, and, you know, they're middle-aged men. And all of a sudden, Calm decides that he doesn't want to be Patrick's friend anymore. And Patrick is, is just devastated by this and thinks he's ridiculous. And Calm says, if you talk to me, anything, I'm going to chop off a finger. And Calm says, but, and that was one word too many, and a finger comes off. It is a strange movie. That's very strange. (laughs) There are some parallel lines between the Irish independence war that's going on at that time, that you can see the bombs going off in in the background on the mainland, and then the war between these two men. And so the parallel lines and the isolation and what's happening between the two of them and how ridiculous war is. So it was interesting. I just just didn't get it. But it's on everyone's top list. It's not on my list. And I think we see a lot of movies like that where people are like, well, what do you see in that one? Like, I loved everything everywhere all at once. Almost made my top 10 list. 
and it is on most everyone's top 10 list. And Chuck is like, what is that? I had to fast forward through it. I couldn't watch it. So I think we have a lot of movies like that where people are like, oh, my God, it's great. And then others are like, no, my God, no. What are you thinking with that one? And usually we have a really clear list of top 10s and everyone is pretty much the same. And this year, everyone's top 10 is all over the place. We just don't have those big blockbusters other than Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, um, that's like the only Yeah, it <laughs> is. Like the only one. It is, and unless you want to sit down for three hours and 20 minutes and watch Avatar, which I still haven't done and refuse to do. Yeah, so. <laughs> I remember in the, the latest episode of your podcast, Chuck was saying he was going to go see it yeah. after you were done with the episode. And <laughs> I wonder if he ended up, did he end up seeing it? He did. He saw it. He texted me several times throughout the movie and he goes, oh, you'd hate this. <laughs> oh my God, you were so Honestly, lucky I went. And I will have to see this movie because being a member of the Critics' Choice Association, it was one of the films that was nominated for I don't know what category. And I I will see every movie that is on that list. I saw as many as I could before I voted for nominations. And now that the list has come out as to who has been nominated, I need to see that movie. So I will, on a Tuesday, go to Metaview or Paramount and see it for $5. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you can't beat those $5 Tuesdays no, at Classic Cinemas. I love it. They're great. I'm just fascinated to know, and, and I guess you have touched on this, is how it works for a film critic, what things, I guess maybe getting more deep into what you personally are looking for or things that you don't like. Because I know sometimes... Superhero movies. It's a, yeah, <laughs> right. And that's what, as a movie critic, if you don't like something, is it worth your time writing about it? Yeah. You it, know, it, I mean, because should you only review the things that you like? No. I mean, no. Okay. No, I mean, that that means that I have blinders on. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'm pleasantly surprised. I will never forget going to see Shazam with Zachary Levi. Did you see that? No, I did oh not. But I know, so a lot of people, I know a lot of people liked it. And that's a superhero movie. And I sat down in it and I was fully engrossed in this film and the story and the kids. And it was funny. It was lighthearted. And at the end, I cried and I clapped my hands. Chuck's sitting next to me and I swear he wanted to have a camera so he could videotape me because he couldn't believe I actually liked a superhero movie. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, if you say I only see comedies, that means you're going to miss out on some great movies, some great performances, some things that, you know, might stimulate your your thoughts. Oh, I don't, I don't see uh, foreign movies because I don't like subtitles. Well, you're going to miss out on some great movies and something that's thought provoking and makes you grow as a person. So if I said I only want to see one genre or a couple because I'm not going to a superhero movie, although I do say that a lot, but I still go. Well, I see. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I've seen your reviews for a lot of the Marvel movies through the Daily Journal, and they're usually not very good reviews. <laughs> so that's what makes me wonder why you would even bother yeah. reviewing them if... You know. I saw the Avengers Endgame. I loved it. I had so much fun. I had invested... I don't know how many hours, 20, 23 movies. That was the 23rd one, I think, or the 24th. So multiply, do the multiplication there. I had invested so much time and effort into getting to know these characters that that endgame was moving. And I liked these people by that time. I also like Guardians of the Galaxy. I wouldn't have gone to go see that knowing it's a superhero movie, but had I not have, I wouldn't have laughed my butt off, you know, mm -hmm. and enjoyed the music and, and seeing how all these people do come together and interact. Thor. 
Well, I mean, really, what's what's not to like about that, you know? Yeah, right? <laughs> Pleasing uh, in many different ways. Oh, yeah. Um, so, you know, I think you if you say you don't want to go and see something, you're going to miss out on some nice surprises, you know? What are some other uh, movies that really surprised you that you thought for sure you were just going to like, I am not going to like this? Yeah, horror movies are, are not my thing. Right, that's Chuck's thing. That is your partner. so yeah. Chuck's thing, yeah. Um, he loves the horror genre. He loves the monsters. I like the old timey monster movies, you know, the mummy and the invisible man. And, yeah. you know, those are fun. Those are the things that I grew up seeing <laughs> sure. on a black and white TV yeah. and they were still black and white. Never. I, okay. So wizard of Oz, I didn't know that Dorothy, when she went to Oz, I didn't know it was color. Cause you saw Cause it. Cause I saw it on black, black and white, and white. TV. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, horror movies are not my thing, but I'll go and see them because sometimes I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised. Great movie out right now called Nanny. Um, yeah, stars, you're talking about yeah. that on the latest episode I was listening to. Yeah. And I mean, totally surprised type of psychological thriller had social relevancy, really an amazing script with, again, great cinematography and special effects and blurred lines of reality. You didn't know what was real and what wasn't and understanding different cultures. It was beautifully done. Blumhouse is really good. They're smart with their horror movies. Blumhouse has done, done a lot. If I see Blumhouse associated with something, You're I'll see it. watching it. And that's, you know, I see a certain director associated with something, I am absolutely going to see it. Or I see a star that generally makes good choices. Olivia Coleman didn't make a good choice with Empire of Light, unfortunately. But I saw it because she was in it. So I've, I've gotten to a point where I know different, you know, cinematographers do something. Oh, that's going to look cool. Let's see if the story holds up with it. Another... Interesting one that was part of the Sundance Film Festival this year. And Chuck reminded me of this yesterday because this made his top 10 and I forgot about it. You Won't Be Alone. Uh, Naomi Rapace is in it. And it's about a witch who comes, this is like in Macedonia, I think it is, and back in the 1800s. Oh, my gosh. And she comes and she's taking the, the little children or the babies, and she wants nothing more than to have a daughter. And so she comes to this one woman's house and goes to snatch up this baby. And the woman pleads with her, please, 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 let me raise her. When she's 16, then you can have her. And she just is trying to save her daughter in any way that she can. And um, the witch says, okay. And so um, she tries, tries to hide the baby from the witch by raising her in a cave. So she's had no outside stimulation whatsoever. You know, language skills are very poor. See, this is speech path that comes in on me. So, <laughs> you know, her understanding, conceptual language isn't there. Nothing's there. And she turns 16 and the witch knows where she is and comes in and she snatches her up. And, you know, she's so innocent and she's new to the world that she drives the witch nuts. <laughs> and she says, I don't really want you in my life anymore. And so she curses her with the same curse that she has, and that's to take over other people's bodies. And generally it's for, for doing bad things for this witch, but this young girl becomes another witch, and she uses her skill in a different way, and she becomes other people and animals even, and sees the world through their eyes. And there's not much dialogue. You got to be patient with it, but it is beautiful. It is poetic. And it really shows you what does it mean to be human. It's beautiful. You may, you're making me want to watch it. There you go. Good, <laughs> good. No, I'm not. <laughs> it's my job. <laughs> yeah. Even though uh, I probably, I'm 
usually not interested in, in those types of movies, yeah. but you're making me <laughs> want to watch yeah. that one. Now, when not only do you know you sit down and you type up a review on a movie or a TV show or you and Chuck talk about it on one of your various shows, whether it's a podcast or on TV, you also are sitting down with a lot of different actresses, actors, producers, cinematographers, directors ab- about a lot of these films too. So that's, to me, that's another whole gamut of things. And you must have so many stories from all the different interactions, but whether it's on recording with these people or it's just, I saw so-and-so at Sundance and right. had this conversation with them. Yeah, so. it's 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 kind of, you know, when I first started doing this and going to festivals, that's when I would typically see these different filmmakers or actors and being able to sit down, you know, the publicists would arrange interviews and we work with a marketing agency that does all the films in Chicago, actually they're worldwide, called Allied Marketing, Global Marketing. And they invite Chuck and I to do on-camera interviews with different movie stars that come in. We were actually supposed to interview um, Damien Chazelle and Diego Cava, I think his last name is, for Babylon, but they both got COVID or they oh, got sick, no. so they, sh- they couldn't come in. Oh, no. um, so yeah, they're unbelievably gracious with inviting us to do these on-camera interviews with these big stars. And then we also, this has been a, a fun perk over the last four years, Netflix or Focus Features or another big studio like that will fly us out to one of the coasts, put us up at a really nice hotel, and then arrange a screening of the film and then interviews, press junkets um, in order to to sit down and talk with the the stars of the films. It's kind of fun too, you know, we'll sit down and watch a movie, my husband and I, or my daughter and I, or son and I, and oh, oh, I interviewed him. Oh, yeah, I interviewed him. Oh, yeah, I know. Oh, yeah, he's really so oh, yeah. oh, he's not so much. <laughs> <laughs> what are some that stick out in your mind of, of very memorable interactions with famous people? You know, as I mentioned before, Robert Redford, that will forever be probably one of my highlights in life. When did that take place when did that and how was that was it when he was part of a a, was he promoting a film he was he was at his festival it was at Sundance and it was for a walk in the woods okay Um, I was gonna guess maybe it was that movie because that's one that's one of his last films right yes yes and it's based on Bill Bryson's book and I had read a walk in the woods years and years ago I was so excited that you know small potatoes Pam gets invited to sit down at an interview with two other journalists and sit down with Nick Offerman and Nick Nolte and uh, Robert Redford and I can't remember who else was there and able to ask questions and and really talk with each of the stars. I remember, it's kind of funny, one of the publicists, um, it was it was at a round t- table and one of the publicists was behind Nick Offerman. Nobody was asking Nick a question. And so she goes, <laughs> so she whispers, will you ask him a question? Poor She's Nick. Pointing. I know I felt kind of bad. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so I asked a question and, you know, of course he had some funny retort and yeah. um, said said something like uh, he didn't care what part he played. He played like the REI salesman. He didn't care what part he played just so long as he could be a part of this. And as I said before, Bill Bryson, I'm a huge fan of and just loved being able to just sit and talk with him and talked with him afterwards and just enjoyed every moment of that. So that's that will always be a standout. Sometimes the negatives are a standout too. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure they are. What 
If you don't want to give names, you don't have oh, to. I'm, but, I'm good with that. No know, problem. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I am curious, though. Uh, Dave Batista. And he, you know him from Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes. I forget what character he plays. Maybe you know. I can't remember. Okay, whatever. Either. He's yeah. a big I mean, guy. I mean, I saw the first Guardians of the Galaxy. Really liked it. He's in a new movie called uh, Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery, and that's coming out on Netflix tomorrow, the, the 20th. Oh, the 20th? I, thought th- I thought that was out already. It's not. No. You know okay. what they did? They did something By really... By the time this, is, this right. episode, it'll be, out. it'll be out. Yeah. <laughs> um, Netflix did something very interesting, and man, it's a smart company. They are always ahead of the curve. Um, they released it in theaters around Thanksgiving for one week. Okay, that must be why yeah. I'm thinking what I'm thinking. Yeah, it, it didn't okay. play locally. It played at the Imagine Theater in Frankfurt. And so people got to see it for a week, and everyone loves it. I mean, there's not anyone out there that hasn't loved it. So they've got critics who went out for—they brought us out to L.A. for the L.A. premiere of it, which was one of the most over-the-top, extravagant, wonderful events I think I've ever I been to. I saw so many pictures yeah. f- that you posted yeah. from that. So I was <laughs> I was really impressed with it, too, just from what I saw from, yeah. from your uh, Instagram. It was, it was crazy. And then you've got word of mouth, people seeing it in the theaters. And I know Netflix had an issue with a bunch of people dropping subscriptions to it. And I think this is going to be the perfect way for people to say, well, if I want to see Glass Onion... I've got no, to get a subscription. Getting, yeah. You know? Get Netflix. Yeah. So Dave Batista is in that as well. He plays Duke. He's a, uh, what did they, uh, a male, I don't know, like, uh, anyway, his character is bizarre. And uh, I interviewed him for a movie with Kumail Nanjiani. I don't remember the name of the movie. And Chuck and I, we coordinate our questions and try and cover all our bases and, ask each of the actors questions that'll lead to a next question. I mean, we put a lot of thought into it. And I said something to Dave Batista about, you started your career as a wrestler, and now you... I don't, I don't remember the, what the rest of the question was, because it didn't matter, because, oh my God, he was angry. That you he, mentioned yeah. wrestling. He's like, I don't wrestle anymore. That's not who I am. And he was like... He was visually angry at me, and I just, like, wanted to sink down, like, but you did. (laughs) You know, you did start in wrestling, and that's how you started. I mean, Dwayne The Rock Johnson's an actor now, too, and he kind of started with doing that stuff, too. Yeah, and now, Um, what, he's got a TV show coming out that's kind of talk— Oh, does he? Yeah, kind of— Talks about it or goes over okay. it or maybe it's not just about his wrestling, but like his life okay. in general. But anyway, yeah. Well, he embraces it, I guess. Dwayne He does. does but, he does. But yeah. but apparently uh, Mr. Batista does not. So and the rest of the interview went fine. But I was just like, I was mortified that I asked a question that was not received well. We try and be very respectful of things. We generally will get some sort of information from a publicist saying, you know, make sure all your questions pertain only to the movie. No personal questions. We had a really fun interview with David Harbour from Stranger Things. Yes. Okay. Gosh, he he cracks me up in Stranger Things. See, I don't watch that, so I don't know him from that. I mean, he's... He's hilarious. He's he's in a great movie from probably 10 years ago or eight years ago called Between Us. And that's when he first became on my radar. But he's in this this horrible movie called Violent Night, which is what we interviewed him and for. And that's more recent, right? Yeah, yeah, that just came out a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago. And But what a fun interview. He was a blast to talk with. He seems like a nice guy. Yeah. yeah. And so we, we do get, you know, parameters placed upon us. 
from the publicist. Wow, that was a lot of peas from Pam Powell, wasn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, so we can't talk about, oh, okay, here's, here's an example. Tyler Perry went into, is it the Peninsula Hotel? Great place to do an interview. Unbelievably good coffee. So I'm in the, in the quote-unquote green room waiting, and there are a couple of other people in there waiting as well. And, and the publicists were like, here's a list of the things that you can't talk about. And always refer to Tyler Perry as Mr. Perry. Do not call him Tyler. Do not call him Tyler Perry. Only call him Mr. Perry. I'm like, oh, my God. Okay. Wow. And uh, uh, Felicia Rashad was in the interview as well. And, of course, you know, don't ask any questions about Bill Cosby. I wouldn't do that anyway. Yeah, why would you now, put that would be, person in oh, that awkward? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. And you know, there, but people do. People do. People aren't considerate. Right. There are some journalists out there that are just not oh. considerate. Oh, absolutely. That. And I've and I've seen them and in action. Are, it's embarrassing. You know. It, and right, those are the clips that you usually see where the movie star is walking out of the interview. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, I never would want to make anyone feel uncomfortable. Like, I'm sorry, Mr. Batista, if you listen to this interview, I'm really sorry. Um, so. I, I There's that Pam Powell. Know, she talked about me being her. a wrestler. How <laughs> Shame dare on she? Her. Shame yeah. on her. Um, so I went into the interview, and they've got all four of the stars sitting in the corner, and then I've got my my seat here and, and talking with them. And then they were like, hi, Pam, how are you? Because they get my name beforehand. And I said, it's great to see everyone. Um, Mr. Perry, thank you so much for spending time and blah, blah, blah. You know, I've got my little sure. spiel that I do. And so I had four people to interview. So I, w- I would have four, maybe five questions to be able to ask at most. So I said, Mr. Perry, I'd like to start with you. And he goes, hold on. What is this Mr. Perry stuff? And I'm like, really? I got like specific instructions to call you Mr. Perry. And so it was just this, I don't know where that disconnect was. I don't know if, I, I don't know what happened like, there. It's almost like the publicist was setting you up for a joke or something I don't like, know, you, know what I, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah, well, and it did become a running joke throughout the interview then, because then I was like, Miss Rashad, <laughs> Miss blah, blah, Miss blah, blah. And so it was, you know, and, and then they started calling me Miss Powell. So, I mean, it, it became a joke and it was lighthearted, but... Oh, man, you know, you got to think on your feet and and not make it awkward. But inside, I'm dying. I mean, I was sweating up a storm, you know? Yeah. I To me, it sounds like a joke the publicist is trying to play mm-hmm. on you or on Tyler Perry or both. But I was wondering if you were going to tell me that he was going to mention, like, why are you calling yeah, me Mr. Yeah. Perry? Well, and then I came out of the interview and there's a, a young couple that um, is on one of the TV shows in Chicago. And they were going on two after me and they said, how did it go? What happened? And I'm like, well, you're supposed to call him Mr. Perry, but he said, go ahead and call him Tyler. So it's up to you. Do whatever you want to do. do. Yeah. <laughs> I don't that know what would, to tell you. That would make me nervous. I would be like, gosh, I don't know if I should call him Tyler or Mr. Perry. Right. Which one do I call him? I know. Him? I know. So that was, that was an odd experience. <laughs> Very odd. Wow. Okay. So what are some other experiences that you have not forgotten or some other experiences similar to like Robert Redford that you've Oh, that's a that's a hard question. I'm trying to think what has happened this year. Anyone else that took you by surprise that was really nice, but you expected them not to be so nice or maybe they have a reputation for not being nice, but they actually turned out to be 
Very nice. Yeah. You know, I, I would say 99% of the people that we interview are extremely nice. Barry Jenkins. Oh, my gosh. What a what a phenomenal. He did um, if uh, Beale Street or Beale Street, right? Is that new? I don't actually, I'm not familiar talk. with. Okay. Incredible filmmaker. Look him up afterwards. He's okay. He's done some incredible films. And he was just such a genuine person that, you know, you felt like you were really having a, an honest conversation. And he shared so much with us that none of us wanted the conversation to end. And I was a little intimidated by him because of who he is. So that one was a, a really pleasant surprise. And really, 99.9% of the people that you meet are super nice and they, they're they there to promote their films, so they're not there to, you know, make enemies. They certainly don't want to upset somebody who's going to write about their movie because, let me tell you, it does skew the movie. And I'll tell you another story. Okay. Um, I love stories. <laughs> I love all these stories. This is great. Goldie Hawn is adorable and sweet. Kate Hudson um, was fine, and this is for Glass Onion. Edward Norton, not so much. Couldn't be bothered. This is a private party that very few people were invited to and could not give you the time of day because he just put off this air of, I'm too good for you, I don't want to talk to you, and basically turned his back. And I'm like, well, I feel like a schmuck. Okay, thanks. You wonder <laughs> if sometimes people react that way because they had bad experiences could in the be. past. Could be, and I, and I understand that, but this is a closed event. You don't have John Q. Public there. You've got... Professionals who were invited there by the studio. So you would think you'd be okay. Janelle Monet, oh my gosh, incredible young woman, unbelievably talented. She steals the show. She and Daniel Craig, of course, yeah. steal the show for I um, love Glass Janelle. Onion. She's great. She's so. It's one of my favorites. Oh, she's incredible. I mean, she's an amazing actress, but what a kind woman. I didn't know how she would be, and she was absolutely generous with her time, kind. She never met, made you feel like you were imposing on her at all. She took time to talk with whomever wanted to talk with her, which was just such a pleasant surprise. Absolutely wonderful. Especially with being how multifaceted yeah. she is, not just... Little do you know, know that really had a key... That That's a key word. When is you see, it yep. multifaceted? Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> because some people are like, oh, I didn't know she was an actress. Or some people are like, oh, I didn't know she was a singer. Or well, like, I didn't know she was a singer either. That, I mean, that's how I was first introduced to okay. her was as, okay. as an artist, as a music artist, you okay. know, but little do we know she yeah. <laughs> can she pretty can much do it, do it all. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's, and that's amazing. It is. It is. When when someone is is widely known for many things like that. Right. So, yeah. but then, you know, then you got Daniel Craig. Well, he's known for being Daniel Craig and being an actor like he's not known he's for bond. anything he's bond right <laughs> which is not i'm not saying it's a bad thing i'm just saying like you know it's usually just kind of pigeonholed one thing yeah. although a lot of people do i feel like knives out really gave him a a step up and helped him out of the whole bond thing because knives out has been very popular oh absolutely he so. has so much fun with his Louisiana drawl and, and his his uh, uh, vainglorious words. <laughs> he has all this, his, it's fun. He has fun with it, and that means we have fun with it. Absolutely. Yep. What else <laughs> can, can we get into? I'm, I'm curious to know how the new year is, is looking. What, what are some movies that people should be on the look for that you suggest? Coming out in January, there are going to be movies that 
I've already seen this month because I had to vote that are going to come out in the new year. Sarah Polly's uh, Women Talking is one of them. Definitely put that on your list. I think it's like number three on my top 10, somewhere thereabouts. It definitely made my top 10. Let's see what else is coming out in January. That's the the one that's really coming to my Oh, Living, I think is coming out maybe the end of this month or the beginning. That's with Bill Nye. Beautiful film. Absolutely wonderful. Tom Hanks new movie, A Man Called Otto. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk any more about it because we we do get embargoed on things, but that is coming out in January, something to put on your list as well. Tom Hanks is usually top-notch. I mean, he is. He he's, is. he's being toted as, what, America's favorite actor. What do they give him the title of? Something Everything. like that, right? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> Everything positive in the world, yes. Yes, yeah, he's just wonderful. <laughs> yeah, so those, those are things to put on your list. And there are a lot of great movies that Chuck and I, as I said before, just did our podcast of Top Ten. We broke it up into two podcasts because There's a lot we like to, to talk, talk about. Yeah. Right? There's a lot to talk about. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of things on, on Netflix. Netflix is really, really kicking it this year. They're doing great. One of my top films of the year is The Good Nurse, if you haven't seen that yet. Oh, Jessica Chastain and Eddie Redmayne. We yes, interviewed I, them. Lo- I love yeah. Eddie. I've always thought he was a really great actor. I, th- I think the first thing I s- ever saw him in was... It was Birdsong or Wood Woodsong. Okay. Might have been Birdsong. It was a it was a BBC series oh. of some kind. Of, I, I think it was two parts and this was ten, twelve ish years ago. Okay. It was a World War One piece. Okay. It's very good. Yeah. And I was very moved by him and then it seemed like after that things were really going well for him, you know. Yeah. Then Les Mis came out and yeah. All that. He's good in everything he does. And I think in The Good Nurse, he takes on a character that is so polar opposite of who he is as a person. And he's good. He's he's chilling. He's incredible. And he and Jessica Chastain together are extraordinary. She is amazing in this this movie. It's about a nurse, two nurses who are working together. And um, there's a serial killer in one of them. And... It's a true story. Charlie Cullen is is the man's name, and that's who Eddie Redmayne plays. And um, Jessica Chastain's character of Amy has to put some of the pieces of the puzzle together, and she has built up a friendship, a, a deep friendship, nothing romantic, but a deep friendship with this man and has invited him into her life along with her children's life. She's a single mom, has a heart condition. Again, true story. And... She's got to have the integrity and the resilience to be able to do the right thing, which hasn't been done for years and years. Charlie Cullen may have killed hundreds of people. I did not know about about that story. Yeah, I didn't either. I mean, really well done. Tobias Lindholm is the writer and director based on the true story and the book by Charles Graber. So incredible. You know, we everyone loves true crime serial killer stuff, right? Yep. Okay, this is told from the point of view of a friendship. So it takes the story and and turns it on, on its edge so that you see it in a different way. And who does that? You know, and he does a brilliant job with that. Something else that was brought up recently on your podcast, you and Chuck were talking about if you've gotten to a point, if you've seen too many films and things like that and you do you find that that's true for some critics like it gets to a point where what you like is not what's i don't know trendy how does 
I guess I was just curious to hear a little more elaboration on that. Yeah, you know, and I think that comes from, um, I mean, Chuck and I are about the same age, and we have very similar life experiences. And I think as you get older, you see the world a little differently. As you're watching movies, different things appeal to you in a different way. And as we're looking, you know, we we talked about the fact that the top 10 list and everybody's top 10 is so different. We were recently um, in New York for Guillermo del Toro. That's another great guy. Unbelievably down to earth. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Yeah, he's got his own version of Pinocchio. Yeah, and it is dark. You guys, this is not meant for children (laughs) at all. This is an adult's version. This is um, a process of healing for Guillermo del Toro as he wrote his version of Pinocchio. And it is beautiful in its own way but it's a very dark version. The puppetry in it, stop motion action, is incredible. Um, you can go to our YouTube page and take a look at the the creation of these the scene and the puppets and, and what it took to do what they came up with is just brilliant. I think it adds another level of appreciation to the movie. So, you know, when we're sitting around the table and Chuck and I are... are not the oldest people there, but, you know, we're trending upward. <laughs> and most most of the critics are younger. Most of the critics are in their 20s and 30s. And we're having conversations around the table. And, and I won't tell you, I, I can't say this on the air, what Chuck was saying at the table. <laughs> um, but he's like, they were looking at me like, oh, yeah, there goes the old curmudgeon again. And I think it's just a, a, a different viewpoint. And we do have different sensibilities because of where we're at in life. Does that mean that we're not, and there is no right and wrong in criticism. It's it's just an objective thing or subjective thing, not objective. Right. It comes back to this is your thoughts. Yeah. How did it. it affect you? And so I think because we're older, we're not in the majority anymore. Our voices are being diminished and other voices are coming to replace us. And I mean, that's just life. You know, that's how things work. So when we feel like we're a little out of it, that's why, I think. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it definitely makes sense. Is there anything else that you want people to know about being a film critic that you think is important to get out there? I think, you know, we, we touched on it a little bit. Try something new. Don't just go to see, you know, silly slapstick comedies. Branch out a little bit. Take a look and see. I would love for people to take a look at mine and Chuck's top 10 list and say, oh, I haven't heard of that movie. I'm going to give it a try. And then see if they like it. And, you know, try and try and get out there and see see a foreign flick. Get a, a list of five genres that you wouldn't ordinarily go and see and go to the movie theater. Have that communal experience. That's something that is tough to do now. I think people are still having issues with going into a a room where it's enclosed, or some people are. But take a chance, wear a mask, um, bring your wipes, I do. Um, (laughs) Don't blame you. And, you know, the, the theaters aren't crowded, so it's almost sometimes like having your own private screening room. But take a chance on some different movies that you wouldn't go and see and see how you might be enlightened or uplifted or see yourself even in a character and learn about who they are and maybe who you can be. So that's my advice. That's great advice. I like that. Thanks. Well, Pam, this has been a blast. A lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you so much. What is the best place to find all of the the thing? You know, the podcast, <laughs> the you know, TV shows, the all the stuff. What is it? Daily Journal. I mean, is there a one 
spot that people can go to to yeah. find all these things? There, there are two one spots that you can go to. Okay. You can go to realtalkwithchuckandpam.com and we've got everything on there, you know, our YouTube, our podcast, everything. Got to update that today. That reminds me. <laughs> and then you can also, Facebook is kind of our home base also. And you can click on links for interviews from the television station as well as our podcast and current reviews. And then we're doing a really fun thing this December. We got this huge box from Amazon Prime in there. It's a countdown to 2023. So there are 31 boxes in there. And I'm like, I'm trying to clean up my house. Why do I have this huge box? What am I going to do with it? I'm like, oh, I'll open it up. People like box openings. It's really kind of weird. Yeah, it's it's, a thing. It is a thing. So we've, every day, we've been taking turns back and forth. Chuck does the even numbers. I got the odd numbers. I don't know why that is. And uh, we've been unboxing these little gifts that Amazon has sent us that all correlate to either a TV series or a movie that you can stream on Prime. So it's kind of fun. That is fun. So I don't know why I told you about that. Uh, No, I I mean, that's just something fun. (laughs) that people can find on on your uh, Facebook. On Facebook, yeah. So everything you can find on Facebook or go to realtalkwithchuckandpam.com. All right. Well, thank you again, Pam. Thank you. Well, that wraps up this episode of Kankakee Podcast. I'm Jake Lamore. Thank you so much for listening. Kankakee Podcast is proudly presented by Pewter Pros, Stitch Prints, and Digital World Design family of businesses, celebrating 25 years of small business ownership in Kankakee County. You can learn more at mypewterpros.com, stitchprints.com, and digitalworlddesign.com. Also, a special thank you to our patrons for helping make this episode possible, including Lori Cracho, Karen Bishop, Jake Lee, Jesse Arsenal, Dave Barron, Veronica Featherston, John Sullivan, Sue Hornung, Samantha Rocknowski, Lake Iverson, Travis Garcia, Jane Bostwick, Dawn Harrison, Simon Topless, Scott Wright, Carrie O'Connell, Jamie Race, Joanne Barry, Anthony Vicelli, Eric Olson, Nolan Bukowski, Natalie Flagel, Carl Erps, Jeff and Rosa Carroll, Teague Dreenan, Sandy and Steve Twait, and Rose Lucky. To become a podcast patron, go to kankakeepodcast.com, then click on the patron tab. If you pledge $5 or more per month, you'll also hear your name announced on an episode of Kankakee Podcast. There's also access to extended versions of episodes, video versions, and much more. Our theme song is written and performed by Lupe Carroll and recorded by Daniel Bishop. 